You guys ready for the word now? That was the appetizer. Okay? Now we're going to get into the word. Father, we just ask you this morning, speak to our hearts through this word, through the scripture, speak to us. And we thank you, Father, for we know that you are in control. We surrender it to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, God is a faithful God. He's a good God. But you know one of his most amazing attributes that we see throughout all of Scripture? He's a merciful God. God is a God of mercy. And when you think about what is mercy, it's undeserved kindness. It's receiving that what you do not deserve. If you look in the definition in the dictionary, it says that mercy is when the person that has the power to punish you doesn't do it. It's basically what it means. See, because if we are honest in here, every single one of us, starting with this guy, deserves eternal death. I deserve it as a person who is a sinner. But God's mercy, his love, his compassion towards me, he sent Jesus to pay the price of my punishment. Through through mercy, I am able then to receive the grace of God and have eternal life through his mercy. What does the Bible say about mercy? Well, let's start with Corinthians. If we go to Corinthians uh, chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, this is what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in a any trouble with the comfort with which ourselves are comforted by God. Right there, that gives you, this second verse, the picture of the fact that if you come to God, what you receive, you're supposed to give. You're supposed to serve. Why? It says uh, when you receive comfort, you comfort other people. Too many times we receive blessings from God. And you know what we have? We have spiritually obese people. They just receive, but they never give. We are called to give. It says if you receive comfort, you give comfort. When your brother or sister in Christ is hurting, you hurt. And you help them. You're there with them. But if you go back to the first verse we read, verse 3, it says that he is the father, father of mercies, of undeserved kindness. He is the father of it. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, it describes it a little different. Ephesians chapter 2, sorry. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together And made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us 
in Christ Jesus. So it says that he is the father of mercies, and this verse says that says he is rich in mercy, undeserved kindness. We don't deserve it, but he relents, and he forgives. See, it's so evident throughout all of the Old Testament because the children of Israel would get right with God, and then they would sin and walk away from God. They would get right with God, then they would sin and they would walk away from God. And you see it, how this king would honor God, and then all of a sudden, the next king would walk away from God and do worse than the previous king. And you see it through all of it. And we're going to get into a scripture here in Lamentations chapter 3, but I want to paint the picture of where we are. The prophet at that moment is Jeremiah. It's believed that the book of Lamentations was written by the prophet Jeremiah. The book of Lamentations does not actually have a name attached to it of who wrote it, but it is believed because Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet and he wrote lots of laments that he wrote this book. Some people say it's not because there's a few verses that don't look like his poetic writing. However, it is firmly across most of Christianity believes that Jeremiah wrote this book. And so the time of, Je- of Lamentations chapter 3 is when the children of Israel had once again walked away from God, and because of their disobedience to God, they were taken away as slaves and captives. And here stands Jeremiah, hope lost because of what had been happening. And we go to Lamentations chapter 3, verse 20. He says this, my soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Leave it there for a second. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Why is Jeremiah writing this? Because the children of Israel had so many times walked away from God that they deserved to have been consumed. I mean, you see it in, in, in Exodus. They're 400 years as slaves. God raises up Moses. They pull the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt, and they're in the wilderness, And God calls Moses up to give him the Ten Commandments. And the children of Israel decide that Moses was probably dead or something because he hadn't been there for 40 days. And they tell Aaron and they clamor and they make a golden calf and they start worshiping this calf. And Moses was so upset he broke the tablets. All these different things happen throughout that time. And it gets to a point where God says, I'm going to kill all these people, Moses, all of them. And I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And Moses is like, God, God, like, chill out. You can't do that. Like, what is everybody going to say when you rescued them out of slavery to kill them in the wilderness? No, no, God, on their behalf, I repent. I am sorry. And God relents and forgives. And you see that time and time again, they fall into bondage because of their sin. So they deserve to have been consumed. But because of God's mercies, they had not been. So then it says in verse 23, they are new every morning. What's new every morning? His mercies. Great is your faithfulness. Now, why is his mercy new every morning? Why is his undeserved kindness new every morning? Because, man, we continue to mess up, don't we? I mean, how many of you have ever promised God, God, I'm never going to do that again? Anybody? Is that just me? God, I'm never going to do that again. 22 minutes later. Oops, I did it again. No, I was kidding. <laughs> we promise it, and then we fall right back. 
So every day, his mercies are made new. They don't run out. She says they're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Verse 24. Therefore, I hope in him. Now, I want you to understand something about the word hope. Hope is a verb. I hope in him. I wait on him. Hope is not something that doesn't have action. Hope needs to have action on your part. It is an active trusting in God that he's going to do what he promised because his mercies are new every morning. Because his faithfulness is great. Verse 25 says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Jeremiah standing there watching destruction. And he probably wants to quit and surrender like many of us have probably felt. Some of us perhaps wanted to quit on our families at one point in time, quit on our marriage, quit in our workplace, quit on, our, on, on, on doing whatever it is the doctor told us to do because we don't see the results and we don't see what's happening and we've wanted to quit. Jeremiah was probably at a point where he wanted to quit, so he had to remind himself of the goodness of God. Remind himself of the mercy of God. Remind himself that every time God came through. It takes me to Psalm chapter 23. Let's go to Psalm chapter 23. I love Psalm chapter 23. It's the first scripture I memorized as a Christian when I was eight years old was Psalm chapter 23 in Spanish. Y'all know I know most of my Bible verses in Spanish instead of in English. I did my Bible study in Spanish. That's, I graduated my Bible institute in Spanish. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yet though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now we can stay in this psalm and we can do a, a whole entire series of multiple weeks breaking down, down Psalm 23, right? Where it says that he leads you beside still waters. He restores you, right? We can break every single one of those things down. But one of the things I want to point out in verse number five, first thing, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Sometimes we have a misconception that when we come to God, everything else is going to work out and be perfect. 
Sorry to break it to you. Because you gave your life to God does not mean that you will not face tribulation and you will not face trial and you will not face adversity. And if you had that misconception, I'm letting you know now that is not true. You will face stuff. And David said it. What did he say? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He had people who wanted to kill him, who hated him, who didn't want him. But he knew he had a faithful God that would deliver him from all of that. As a matter of fact, if we go back to the book of Lamentations, one of the things he says is, in my trials, right? You are faithful. Your mercies are new. And then he gets to verse 26 where he says, surely goodness and what? Mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Church, let me tell you something. Even when things are rough, mercy's following you. You're walking this way, facing a trial. Mercy's right behind you. God's undeserved kindness. David knew what that was. He knew what it was. I mean, we talk a lot about David because he killed Goliath, right? Woo, he killed Goliath. Man, what a rock star. We talked a lot about David because they would sing the songs. And Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. He was a warrior, a man of war. The Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. But he was also someone who messed up. Pretty drastically, if you think about it. See, David, the man of war, the king who was supposed to be out, the Bible says in the book of Kings, when it was a time where the kings went out to battle, the army went out and he decided to stay at the palace. That's a first lesson, being in the place God told you not to be. Come on, that's, that, that, that's deep right there. Because sometimes we get into big trouble just because we didn't obey God and we went to a place we weren't supposed to be in. That's a different nugget, as Pastor Fernie would say. Dip it in barbecue sauce. No. <laughs> so he stays where he's not supposed to be. He's supposed to be out of battle, but he stays home. And he looks out over his city and he sees Bathsheba. And Bathsheba was taking a shower. And he was like, ooh, that girl, fine. Bring her to me. So they bring him Bathsheba. So again, he's in the place not supposed to be. He sees the woman, and instead of turning, he continues to stare, and then he calls her over. So he sleeps with her, and he impregnates her. So she comes, what, six weeks, five, six weeks later, she missed a period. She goes, David, I'm pregnant. There were no pregnancy tests back then. I'm pregnant. My husband's out at war. So David says, I got this. I got this. I'm going to cover it up. Bring me Uriah back from the camp, from the battlefield. So he brings Uriah and he says, Uriah, man, you're doing such a great job. Joab says you're an awesome warrior. Why don't you go spend the night at home? So Uriah says, no, king. My brothers are out there fighting. I can't go and be merry and sleep with my wife. And he stayed at the palace on the floor of the steps of the palace because his integrity said, I can't do this when my men are out there. 
So then David says, all right, that didn't work. Let's, let's try something else. Let's go a little deeper. So he said, Uriah, come have dinner. And he spiked all the wine with extra stuff, right? He made him drunk. The Bible says it. Made him drunk and said, Uriah, go be with your wife, with your family. And, I, and this, is, this is strictly my imagination now. Yo, King David, uh, uh, I, I can't. I have, you know, imagine him being drunk and being like, you know, even though he was drunk, he still had that integrity. And he's like, ah, yo no puedo, right? I can't. So then David said, all right, I tried that. That didn't work. Here's the next one. He pulled out a piece of paper and said, dear Joab, take Uriah and put him in the front of the most fierce battle and then sound the retreat and leave him alone that he dies. And he gave the letter to Uriah and said, take it to Joab. So Uriah goes, reporting for duty, sir, here's the orders from King David. <laughs> you don't know what you were carrying. Front lines. Uriah dies. This, this gets intense now. Watch this. Joab, was, that was one of the first battles they lose. So he tells a messenger, go tell David that we lost. And the messenger says, David's going to be furious. He might kill me. He says, just tell him that in the battle, his servant Uriah lost, died. So David comes like, we lost. And he's getting angry. He says, but Uriah, your servant, he lost. You win some, you lose some. It's basically what David said. You think David deserved to be called this great king? He didn't deserve it, right? He didn't deserve it. But what is mercy? His goodness and mercy. See, when the prophet Nathan comes to confront David, he comes to David and he tells him this parable. He tells him a story. It's like, David, there's this guy that's got one solitary sheep. And there's this other guy that has thousands of sheep. He's got everything he wants. But this guy took the one sheep that the other guy had, his one lowly ewe, and he killed it, slaughtered it. And David got indignant and said, who is this man? Bring him to me that he may die. And the prophet looked at him and said, that man is you. Then comes the famous psalm that David writes where he humbles himself before God and says, God do not depart your Holy Spirit from me. Do not depart your presence from me. Here, this is what separated David. This is why he knew that goodness and mercy followed him because he deserved, according to the law, an adulterer was supposed to be stoned and killed. A murderer was supposed to be stoned and killed. But David saw God's mercy because David cried out to God. David was known as a man after God's own heart because he was quick to repent and get right with God. And that's what brings mercy. Now, here's another one. This is another one you need to understand now. God's unlimited mercy, which are new every day, doesn't give you a license to do whatever the heck you want. Come on. I was an immature Christian at one point in time. Wrestling, right? Tom and Jerry. I got the little angel and the little devil, okay? 
Come on, David. You can do this. Nobody's watching you. It's okay. You shouldn't do that. The Bible says not to do it. God is saying, it's okay. Nobody's watching. God's mercies are new every morning. He's going to forgive you. God's going to forgive me. Do whatever I want. No, 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 no. It's not a license to sin. It's not a license to do what you want. Because even though God extends his mercy, there's consequences. See, God forgave David. But that baby died. That baby that was conceived became terminally ill. And you know what David did? He fasted. He filled himself with sackcloth. He was covering. He wouldn't eat. His servants would come and were like, come on, David, come eat. Come do something. And he was there broken for this baby. God, I know you forgave me, but it wasn't his fault. But the baby lost his life. But you know what God's mercy is? That after that baby died and David got up, started pursuing God, doing what God called him to do, God told him, I'm going to give you a king. I'm going to give you a son that will sit on your throne. And Bathsheba got pregnant again with Solomon. God's mercy still brought a blessing out of David's screw-up. But David had to suffer because of his screw-up. See, I think it's important for us to know that our choices have consequences. God's mercy allows us to receive a blessing even when we mess up. But it doesn't give you a license to do whatever the heck you want. So when David writes, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David was known forever because of that mistake. Do you know that? As a matter of fact, when you read through Kings, when David dies, it says, David did everything according to the heart of God, except for his situation with Uriah. Because why am I talking about, man, I didn't even know, I didn't preach this in first service that way, but it's okay. And some people walk into church, I'm not talking about 3W, I'm talking in the church as a whole. And somebody says something out of love, perhaps, hey, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't do it like this. Stop judging me. Or somebody does something they shouldn't. It's like, I'm not going to talk to them. Not until they get right with me. Not until they apologize to me. That's not mercy. I do counseling with a lot of people. Pastor, you don't know what they did to me. They better not even look at me. I've had people leave the church, not because they were mad at me, because they got mad at somebody else. God was like, hey, what's up, man? Where you been? No, no, no. That, there's a hypocrite that goes to your church. Oh, it, it, was it you? Or, you know, I don't say that. I want to sometimes. <laughs> I'm being honest, all right? <laughs> I'm, I'm made out of flesh, too. 
That's not mercy. The Bible says that with the mercy that you give, you're going to be shown mercy. In Spanish, told you, I know it better in Spanish. It says, juicio con misericordia al que tiene misericordia. In other words, judgment with mercy to he who shows mercy. So we all want God's mercy. Come on, who wants God's mercy? Can you start showing mercy to other people? Because mercy is going to follow you. Everywhere you go, mercy's following you. I don't deserve it, but there's mercy. It's the story of the prodigal son. See, the prodigal son, that story in Luke 15, you could call it the story of the merciful father. See, if you don't know the story, you can read it later in Luke chapter 15. I know I'm talking about a lot of Bible today, but it's okay because that's why we're here. I had somebody tell me one time, Pastor, I really love this church. Oh, really? What is it? You know, what you enjoy is like you actually preach from the Bible. Good. It's like I used to go to this church and they never talked the Bible. You actually have your Bible in your hands. Like, awesome. Good to hear. Y'all know you got to read your Bibles, right? Okay. Here's one of the reasons why. If I say something that's not in here or opposite of what's in here, here's the truth. This is right and this guy's wrong. But if you don't read the Bible and I say something that's my own interpretation of it, and you don't know what it truly says, in our next step classes a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Fernie did something to the class. He kept calling Lot's wife by a name. And the Bible doesn't give Lot's wife's name. And one of the people in the class was like knew, it was like, oh, he probably made a mistake, but he kept doing it. And he kept doing it. And finally, the lady was like, you know, Pastor Fernie, I think you, you're making a mistake. The Bible never says Lot's wife. And he's like, yes, it does. You don't know I know about the story, Pastor Fernie. I told everything. He's like, he, he was like, yes, it does. It says it. And in, in in they're like, no, Pastor Fernie, it says last Wednesday. He's like, exactly. That's why you got to read your Bible. So you can't be fooled by someone else telling you something. Got it? Okay, let's go back to the preaching. Now, that wasn't a, a commercial break. <laughs> this young man looks at his father. And basically says this, I wish you were dead. Pastor, that's not what the Bible says. No, no, The Bible says that he told him, give me my inheritance now. When do you get an inheritance? The person's dead. So this man, he didn't look at his son and say, you ungrateful. Blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. He sold stuff. There wasn't banks back then. where He probably had to sell stuff to get it. And he gave his kid the inheritance. And he got it and he went off, the Bible says, to a faraway land and spent it all in prodigal living, doing whatever he wanted, living la vida loca. <laughs> and in that process, he runs out of money. So he starts working for a farmer tending pigs. And he was so hungry that he desired to eat what the pigs were eating. How many of you can say, Pastor, that's gross? I agree with you. It's gross, nasty. Pigs eat anything. And then he dawns on him. He says, man, in my father's house, he's got lots of servants. And every one of them has food enough to spare. And here I am desiring 
slop. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to tell him I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as a hired hand. He practices it over and over again as he's walking to his father's house. He's practicing, I'm no longer worthy. He's punishing himself. He's putting himself down. I am horrible. I am in, I'm this, I'm that. Putting himself down, punishing himself. And he gets there. And the Bible says that the father, while the son was still a far way off, saw him and was moved with compassion. Another translation says mercy. He was moved with mercy, compassion. And he ran towards the son. And he hugged him. And the son starts, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he says, shh, shh, shh. He gives him a kiss. He says, bring him a pair of sandals. Bring a ring back on his finger. Bring him a new outfit. Kill the fatted calf. This is my son who was dead and is now alive. He was moved with mercy to restore his son to the position that he was called to be. It's the story of our father whose attribute is to love us, to follow you with mercy. And it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've gone through. He is a God of mercy. And that son didn't deserve that. I mean, it, 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 what did the older brother do? The older brother got off full of pride and jealousy. We talked about pride last week. You need to hear last week's message online. Got full of pride. He's like, what's going on? Why is there this big party? What's this big party going on here? Why is everybody celebrating? And they're like, bro, your brother, he was dead, right? He came back and your father's so happy. He's throwing this big party. He killed the fatted calf, right? Like, noche buena type pig. Like, let's get this sucker ready. Put him in the ground with the palm fronds. Let's do the whole thing. He's like, I'm not going inside the house. I'm not going. I'm not going. So his father comes out to him and says, my son, come on, rejoice with me. He's like, no. All this time, I have been here. I've done everything you ask me. And you don't even give me a little calf to have a party with my friends. I, I, I talked about it last week. Pride, man. There's no room for pride in the life of a Christian. And the father's like, you don't understand. I've been longing to show him mercy. Oh. Guys, we need to long to show people mercy the way God has shown us mercy. You know why some people don't want to go to church? Because of Christians that show no love or mercy to people. And our Father in heaven is longing, and we're like the older brother. But I've been reading my Bible, and I've been going to church, and I've been tithing, and I've been doing this. And here comes this guy, and pastor showing them love and mercy and compassion. Don't you remember when the Pharisee looked at Jesus and said, but they're sinners. And Jesus said, I didn't come for you. I came for the people that are sick. I came for the sinner to show them mercy, to show them compassion. And we, guys, that's the Father's Day message. Because the Father's heart is to follow you with mercy.
We're not supposed to walk in judgment. We're not supposed to walk criticizing. We're supposed to walk in compassion and mercy and love. Humility. Because we're supposed to take on his attributes. And when the world sees us, they see him. I gave you a story a long time ago of a little boy that would walk into this big cathedral with his parents every Sunday. And he would hear in his catechism classes and stuff about the disciples and the things, and he never really understood it. And one day he walks in, and the light was shining through this big cathedral. And this light is coming through all these little stained glass. And, and he says, Mom, who, who are all those people? What are all those pictures of? He says, Son, uh, those are pictures of the disciples. Like that one's supposed to be Peter, and that one's supposed to be John, and, and that one's supposed to be this one or the other. He's like, Wow, now I know what a disciple is. Mom's like, What do you mean? He says, a disciple is the one that lets the light shine through. Wow, if we can be like children sometimes, right? Church, come on, say this with me. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Mercy follows me mercy follows me mercy follows me